Welcome to One Haas, a podcast devoted to bringing the Haas community closer together through your stories. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and my mission is to help open our eyes to the network we never knew we had. This is Sean, and I'm here today with Nate Pollock of the EMBA 2018 program. Did I get your name correctly? Correct. Okay. Nate was introduced to us by Moj from episode number four. And Nate is an interesting personality because he is the owner and founder of the American Grilled Cheese Kitchen in San Francisco. And where's your other location? Both locations in San Francisco. And today is a rather historic day because we finalized our first franchisee contract for five stores in Florida. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Where in Florida? Uh, Southern Florida. So we're going to start with a small store in Fort Myers Mm -hmm. on the West Coast. And then we're going to move to Broward County, Miami, focused near Coral Gables to collect a college market. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to do Orlando. And then we have a couple of other counties mapped out in Southern Florida. But Southern Florida is the region. Why Florida? Was that just where the franchisee My first franchisee, Florida is a great state for franchising. Mm -hmm. Uh, Franchise businesses do very well there. It's easy to do business. It's not my ideal location geographically. It's going to be a good amount of travel. Mm -hmm. But to be quite honest, this is my first franchise, my first franchisee. I had to take what came my way and he met all the profiles other than being really close to me, but that's okay. (laughs) Uh, So this particular operator, I feel very confident in working with him and he's getting a great deal as my first franchisee. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see where it goes, but all the stars are aligning right now. Let's uh, walk back through your history a little bit. I noticed you graduated from UCLA That's with right. two BAs mm-hmm. in economics and classical architecture. That's correct? right. That's uh, that's a ways away from uh, being the uh, the CEO and owner of a grilled cheese restaurant. How did that transpire? I went to UCLA from growing up in Chicago, mm. so I had it in my head when I was 17 or 18 years old applying to colleges that I was only going to school in California. I had survived 18 years in the cold, frigid Chicago climate, and it was time to go enjoy 365 days of the year. I got into UCLA. That's where I chose to go. I got into a number of schools in California. And I went in with the mindset of actually being a Spanish literature major because I developed a fondness for Spanish language in high school. I still speak it daily. It's part of my work. And even through the Haas GNAM program, I'm going to spend a week in Mexico City, one of my favorite places. So I love using that language skill. But when I got to UCLA, I realized that I didn't want to be a liberal arts major. I wanted to have more of a hard science or a hard skill behind me. And I was really good at math. Economics sounded like the right pursuit. I wanted to eventually go into business, start my own business. I've always felt like I wanted to run my own show. Mm-hmm. But I am also had this sort of creative right brain side to me. So I've always played music my whole life. I knew I wasn't going to be a music major. I knew I was going to just play music with a band for fun to jam and stuff. Right. But UCLA, like many UCs and public schools, they require anyone who's in any major to take a certain number of fun courses on the side. So I took a course called Intro to the Greeks or Those Were the Greeks, something like that. And I just fell in love with the Greek culture. Excuse me, this is talking about ancient Greece here, like mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. reading the Iliad and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I fell in love with it. I took the next course in the series, which was Introduction to Rome. Fell in love with that. And not only did I take as many courses as I could, I wrote an honors thesis in classics on uh, 
the debasement of Roman coinage leading to hyperinflation in the fourth century AD. Wow. Uh-huh. I wrote a joint economics and classics <laughs> paper. I wish I, I might present that to Professor you Andy should, Rose yeah. and see what he thinks. It also got me to Europe for 14 months through the EAP program through the University of California, Education mm-hmm. Abroad Program. So I studied for 14 months in London. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what got me my first real exposure to hospitality. Actually, I took a bartending job when I was in London. So I worked at a bar for 14 months. And I eventually kind of worked my way up to being a supervisor mm-hmm. at this bar. So I learned a lot about just running a brick and mortar food service business, surly customers. Yeah. And leaving UCLA and going into grilled cheese world, mm-hmm. I did do a more traditional route after college. So I graduated in 2005 and I did almost four years of management consulting at a boutique agency in San Francisco. And after the crash in 2008, moving into the Great Recession of 2009, I actually lost that job. I was laid off in that company, massively downsized. Well, wow. That kind of was the kick in the butt to become an entrepreneur. Right. And I see you did a short stint at the uh, San Francisco Marathon. That's correct. How did that happen? I am a man of many things to do. Uh-huh. I have a lot of hobbies and I, one of them is sports as well. Mm-hmm. So I used to compete in triathlons and marathons and I still do a lot of cycling and I play basketball mm-hmm. and I rock climb. But through some mutual connections through running, mm-hmm. uh, when I had lost my job in management consulting and was planning my grilled cheese restaurant, I needed a, some part-time work. And I got connected to the San Francisco Marathon and they're actually an amazing organization that manages a number of races. Mm-hmm. And I learned a ton about the race and fitness business, which was great exposure. And at the time, they were directly competing with the Nike Women's Marathon okay. for runners. So it's a very competitive business. And then they have Beta Breakers and a couple of other races, Kaiser Permanente 5K, so on and so forth. So they were competing for runners. They needed someone who had a good amount of quant analysis skills to take a look at all their racer and runner registration data for the past five years Mm. and basically synthesize it to design a a more efficient race because there was a lot of complaints about the course and the flow of traffic and Mm. the scheduling of starting lines and things like that. So a more efficient race for the runners and a more efficient registration strategy on their websites. They were launching a new website. So basically I was the business analyst for them as a contractor for about nine months and I was in their office three days a week. They were huge supporters of me starting a grilled cheese business. In fact, they gave me some catering opportunities when I first opened. Wow. But I learned a ton about the race business and I got to flex some of my new analytical skills. So how long were you planning this, uh, this restaurant of yours before you opened it? We wrote the business plan and I, and I'm, I say we, cause I'm not the sole founder. I mm-hmm. co-founded the restaurant with my girlfriend who is now my wife. Mm-hmm. It took us from the time we started writing the business plan, which was April of 2009, we opened our doors in June of 2010. So call it 14 months. And was this like a grilled cheese, an idea you had even before you wrote the business plan? Is it something you're passionate about? So I've I've become more (laughs) passionate about it. The reality of the situation was I was madly in love with this woman, my girlfriend, Mm -hmm. still am. Yeah. But she had also just lost her job. She was a technology executive. And the two of us were both independently writing business plans because we both decided we were going to be, we're going to shed our corporate office persona and go and start our own companies. Wow. So at the time she said, I'm out of tech. I want to open up a brick and mortar retail store that specializes in artisanal wine and spirits and cocktails and does cocktail classes. And she actually 
was experimenting a ton with fruits and syrups and making your own cocktail mixers and was considering launching a retail line of cocktail mixers. Let's just be clear. She's no slouch. Her name's Heidi. Mm-hmm. Uh, she went to MIT when she was 16 years old. Wow. Material science, master's, brilliant woman. Yeah. And she's particularly good at recipes. She's just an incredible home chef. Mm-hmm. Never been a professional, but she was competing in grilled cheese contests and winning them on the side for the prior 10 years. So she actually has more trophies than anyone else who's competed in something called the Grilled Cheese Invitational. It's a national grilled cheese competition for amateur chefs. Wow. So we have those in our first restaurant. But I was writing a business plan for a technology company mm-hmm. and it was called Safe Ride. Like capitalize the S, capitalize the R, Safe Ride. Because I believe there was this great opportunity to solve this issue, which was really bad in 2008 in San Francisco. And that was you couldn't get a cab. So I was like, great, well, we can make this app where people can take their phone and just like get in a car with a stranger and pay that stranger for the ride. Cause uh-huh. like the sharing economy, like that's what people are doing now. Uh-huh. And I took that, I wrote a business plan, an executive summary of my idea. I had like, is this going where I think it's going to go? Well, I took it around and people, every, number one response was, I'll never get into a car with a stranger. That's a crazy idea. Mm-hmm. So after like three months of kind of doing a little research, I decided to ditch the idea. Fast forward 10 years and Uber and Lyft. Are did, these- you, uh, did you toss that business plan <laughs> in a random garbage can on the streets of San Francisco or something? Maybe and- my computer got hacked. It's definitely still <laughs> on the hard drive, but at least it was a good idea. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, you know, that's to speak to that. Like as an entrepreneur myself, I have a lot of ideas and I have no fear, no qualms about people executing on the idea because when I see that happen, I'm so happy. This is validation for me that it was a damn good idea. And we're going to have more. Yeah. So. I, I had lunch with a venture capitalist who eats at my restaurant quite a bit. And he said, do you have any ideas for the restaurant industry? We're constantly looking for new software because it's just ripe for disruption. I mm-hmm. mean, this is like typical thing you hear in the street of San Francisco. It's kind of annoying, but it's part of the deal of living yeah. in Silicon Valley. I said, sure. And I had another idea and it was for an Uber-like platform for restaurant workers because mm-hmm. that's our biggest challenge is finding labor on short notice. And three weeks later, two different companies that are offering that service announced that I say to myself, I had another good idea. I'm flattered. I'm glad someone else came up with it. Yeah. Today, on my trek to San Francisco to uh, Pocket Gems, one of the participants, uh, a EW 2018, he's actually working at the startup that has this app called Crew. Have you heard of it before? I have. It's like a Slack for hourly workers. Yeah. And I was just, when he first told me it was a work communication chat app, I was like, oh, okay, so Slack. But then when he told me what industry it targeted, I was thinking, this is brilliant. It's going to solve some major pain points. It's a really tough industry for digital communication, particularly yeah. because nobody sits at a desk. Right. And there's policies against personal cell phone use. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, how do you effectively communicate with staff in a digital way when they're not at the office yeah. or when they're not at the restaurant, I should say? Right. And because, I mean, we have some people that actually don't even own a computer right? or don't have an email app on their phone. So yeah, kudos to them. I hope yeah. to try that. Agreed. Let's dial it back again. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so you asked me how I got into the grilled cheese. So I said I was madly in love, basically a temporary form of insanity. Mm-hmm. And people came up to her after she won her seventh national championship for grilled cheese and said, why don't you open a restaurant? Mm. And she said, I no way. I'll never run a restaurant. That's crazy. I'm an engineer and I've got this plan for this brick and mortar store. And I said to her, maybe we could do it. Like, let's think about this. And so that night we were actually celebrating and having drinks. And 
the two of us just sort of started exercising our business planning muscles from her having been a corporate executive and me having done management consultant. We pulled out a laptop and we wrote what we thought was a good business plan with a full pro forma financial statement for a grilled cheese shop, estimating how many customers we'd serve every day, what the price would be for our sandwiches, the average price, what our cogs would be, because mm-hmm. we had at least that amount of business knowledge knowledge yeah. Yeah. and so we put together a pro forma financials a pnl and a balance sheet mm-hmm. took us maybe that night and then a couple of days to refine it and it just so happens that her mother who is my mother-in-law now at the time was the cfo of one of the southeast largest barbecue chains called red hot and blue uh-huh. so we called her and we said we think we have an idea for a new restaurant concept a grilled cheese concept and her first response was imagine the margins uh-huh. <laughs> so we got support from a pro it took us over the next year to learn as much as we could in that industry. And we took jobs in the industry. So I worked at a cafe. I asked the owner to let me do anything from sweeping the floor to looking at his books to helping him redesign his counter space for more efficient foot traffic through the retail store. Heidi also went and worked at a bakery. I mean, not, neither of us had ever worked other than bartender to served, but mm-hmm. the sort of food production and planning yeah. and general management side of these businesses, we had never had no exposure to. So we were making minimum wage. It's interesting to go from having a salary and then going to do a minimum wage job. We did that the entire time just to learn. This is how businesses should be built. <laughs> and this is how businesses are built, is this willingness to you know, get your hands dirty and learn. We right? literally got our hands dirty and yeah. our knees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you do a lot of cleaning in a restaurant. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> We, yeah, we did it. We, we dove right in and I learned a ton. And a lot of the things I learned there, especially just about standard operating procedures in a food service environment are things we still use today. Hmm. And I'm proud to say are going to be in our new franchisee manual <laughs> for our new franchise partners. But we spent most of that time recipe testing. Hmm. So we came up with the whole concept ourselves. So there hadn't yet been a grilled cheese focused restaurant in a fast casual environment. So there were a couple of restaurants around the country that had popped up this is before food trucks were a thing. Mm-hmm. This is right when like Roy Choi was coming out with all the food trucks in yeah. LA and the food cart scene was what was going on. There was this underground food cart movement that were illegal, unpermitted, and it yeah. was causing all this tension in cities. And then trucks started getting permitted. So a couple of grilled cheese trucks emerged, one of which was very successful and came out of the same competition. And that's in LA. It's called the grilled cheese truck. Mm-hmm. And then another one came out of Portland, but really there weren't many others And none of them had the same focus on an artisan grilled cheese sandwich inspired by gourmet dishes. Mm -hmm. So just to give an example, one of the most popular sandwiches on our menu, and has actually been on our menu for now eight years, is called the mushroom gruyere. And the inspiration for it was mushroom ravioli. So we wanted to use stinky European cheeses, mushrooms, a lot of herbs. And this is a sandwich that's on an artisan Levan bread, which is a French country rustic style bread. It's mostly sourdough uh, and a darker flour, like Acme bread is known for the Levant. So it was mm-hmm. a Levant bread. We made a thyme butter on the outsides. Then we did a puree on the inside, which was caramelized leeks and yellow onions, spread that onto the inside. Then we did Gruyere cheese, Swiss Gruyere, a mushroom duxelle, which is diced roasted mushrooms. We use shiitake cremini and white button mushrooms. And then we would do thin sliced potatoes. Potatoes is actually a really fun thing to put in a sandwich because they add a lot of texture. Mm-hmm. I can tell you how we come up with all these ideas. but And then we add a, fa- a layer of fontina and then obviously bread, close up the sandwich. And it was delicious. One of the best sellers. Wow. Our whole philosophy was 
and actually this is a good time to say what our original mission was. It was to serve the best grilled cheese sandwiches in San Francisco using only locally sourced small batch and made in house ingredients. Wow. And that's what we were for the first few years. It was an interesting, <laughs> interesting adventure. And then uh, how did the business grow? So we opened in 2010. We were just blessed with good press. It was a great story, as you've acknowledged. So like all the, the eater and all the food, local food media was all over it. Basically, when we opened, which our first store is in South Park in San Francisco. And for those of you that don't know what South Park is, it's like the Web 2.0 hub. Hmm. So the companies that came out of this little tiny historic neighborhood, I'll just rally off a few. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Splunk, Technorati. Small companies. Yeah, Yelp. It all started there. Um, so it's a cool scene. But at the time, it was pretty vacant and dead when we first opened because we were right at the height of the Great Recession. But we opened and just right off the top, it was a hit and people loved it. Um, I can tell you about all the pain and sweat and tears and everything that went into making that happen. But to answer your question about growth, two years in, we had basically realized the restaurant was exploding at the seams. We couldn't produce any more food out of that space we couldn't serve any more customers on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Just to give you guys an idea, it's 850 square feet, our first store. Um, there's no hood, no ventilation. Heidi and I built the store with the carpenter we hired to do it. We were like hanging drywall and laying pipe. We couldn't afford anything else. Right. Right? We cashed out our savings to build right. this place. At this point in time, the restaurant was doing sensationally well. We, had a, we were flush with cash. And at this stage in a business, you can just pocket the cash. You could try to grow it. So mm -hmm. we said, let's get another facility. Let's open another store. So we opened our second store at the end of 2012, two and a half years later. We actually ran out of cash through the construction of the store. And it was sort of too late to go look for investment or a loan. But we had applied to this contest called the JP Morgan Chase Small Business Challenge. It was the first year they were running it. And they were giving away a million dollars of small business grants, no mm -hmm. string attached to local small businesses. And it was basically an essay contest. Wow. So we wrote an essay and we won 250 <laughs> grand. Wow. Yeah. We got free funding to finish the job and build our second store. And, and we built a commissary kitchen. Well, when that's literally <laughs> when there's a will, there's a way. That's, we, uh, we were just blessed, especially those early years. You uh, know, it, it's to that point, there's always opportunity. It's just whether are you ready for it? When I hear stories like this over and over again, I hear people that have been ready for it, ready for the opportunity. And when it presented itself, like you guys were able to jump on top of it and uh, take advantage of that. So that's, I, I guess it's a blessing. No, I mean, I, <laughs> but you guys I, did a lot of work. So <laughs> I believe luck is a major factor. I think the hard work gets you in the position to be the recipient of the good luck, mm -hmm. but it also puts you in the position to be the recipient of bad luck. Um, and our first kind of major, it wasn't a, major challenge, but emotionally it was when this company called The Melt launched. Mm. And The Melt basically, and we've kind of found this out later, they were just camping out outside a store, just taking notes on what we were doing. It was started by a tech entrepreneur who mm. had sold uh, his original company to Cisco for half a billion dollars. And he wanted to get into the restaurant game. And right. so he developed this concept called The Melt and he hired all these famous chefs. And he lined up, I believe the number was somewhere from 70 to $100 million in venture capital including an injection from Sequoia. And so here, Heidi and I are like running our business on our cash flows, thinking we're the coolest thing in the world. And yeah. then some super wealthy dude announces on 60 Minutes, no less, that he is going to open 500 melt grilled cheese shops in the United States over two years or something. Wow. He had this like aggressive tech growth plan. Um, the whole thing's been 
from if you think about what the expectation was a massive failure now eight you know seven or eight years later mm-hmm. that business didn't go anywhere and Sequoia lost a lot of money investing in grilled cheese <laughs> but for us it was really disheartening to see that a big player could just come and it wasn't so much that they were competing with us right because we really just compete with the burrito guy down the street right. and with the cafe a block away, mm-hmm. right? That's because we're fast casual, most primarily a lunch destination. The industry has changed dramatically to an online type of Amazon effect now mm-hmm. in the restaurant with yeah. all the delivery partners and things like that. But back then people still actually walked into the restaurant. Right. So we were pretty frustrated by the mind share lost because now people were coming up to me and saying, oh, you're that guy from the melt, right? And I'm like, no, we're American Grilled Cheese Kitchen. Mm-hmm. We make real grilled cheese. Yeah. That's what I used to say. <laughs> and ultimately, that is what won in our local market mm-hmm. is we had just had a superior product, exceptional service. And over the years now, that's really made its way into our culture in the company with our staff, the vision of the organization. Our mission now is to get a smile through the magic of grilled cheese. So we highly focus on the customer experience because we believe grilled cheeses cannot be this sort of like sterile restaurant or cool looking blue bottle type cafe with sparse decorations. Mm-hmm. Grilled cheese is really personal to people. Mm-hmm. And so we want to elicit the nostalgic memories of their grilled cheese experiences in our restaurant. And that goes from the crap we put on the wall, which mm-hmm. is like stuff from people's college dorms. In fact, all of my model cars from when I was like a six-year-old boy are in, are in my restaurants. My wow. parents sent them to me. To the cheesy puns we have, to the names we give our menu items, they're all named after our friend's pets. Mm. So we have like a Stella's Cobb salad. Stella was a dog in our life at some right. point. So we just try to make it very personal. And I think that's where a lot of other concepts like these bigger ones have failed. So we're going to do our best to maintain that. No, that's amazing. And then as far as growth, about two years into operating the second store, I went out for the first time and had a vision for the company to grow it to 10 locations Mm -hmm. in the Bay Area. And this was the first time I wrestled with, quote, failure. Mm. Uh, It was the first time I really went in front of strangers and asked them for money. I'd worked in sales and prior jobs, but nothing like raising money for a restaurant and in a competitive capital environment. Yeah. And I went out and I had a pitch deck and I pitched to investor groups and people in my network and so on and so forth. And I was trying to raise 3 million bucks to get us to 10 stores. What year was this, by the way? This is 2014. Hmm. And we had just signed the lease to open this third store. So I'm also raising money actively for that store. I raised 250 grand. Mm -hmm. It was barely enough to get us the third restaurant open, but I still did it. But it was a lesson in hustling and hustling hard. And that now I'm in this new position, and this is actually something we've been talking about in our class of what takes up executives' times, especially when you're a C-level executive. Now, I'm, I'm the, quote, CEO of a 30-person company, but right. I still make all the decisions. And as, as you start taking on investment and have other partners and you're focusing on growth, your time is less related to market-driven activities, to the actual sales in the organization and to the operations. And you know, I have to spend so many hours a week talking to my investors or constantly negotiating with vendors and planning out the next six to 12 months of cash flows. Mm -hmm. It's pretty expensive to operate even a small restaurant in the Bay Area and it's gotten painfully oppressive in the last two or three years. So things have changed dramatically. So we have to be even more creative. I see. I mean, that really begs the question of uh, what you're doing here at Haas. You're doing such amazing things with your business and it's, it's such a great success. What brings you to Haas? 
A couple of things. So the first is perspective. When I had recently been laid off from the consulting job, one of my initial thoughts was I should go do an MBA because mm. it'll make me more marketable if I stay in an industry or it will expose me to new opportunities or I'll, maybe I'll learn something that I wouldn't learn otherwise. Mm-hmm. The reality was jumping into entrepreneurship at that time in my life felt like the more correct thing to do for me. Mm-hmm. And it was, I still believe I did the right thing by starting my own business. Yeah, As stressful and as tough as, as it is, it's, I'm here and I still have the business and it's been very good to me. So now when I thought about this, actually it was a bit of kind of a setback I had in the business. I told you we opened the third restaurant and I started dealing with some real challenges. Mm. And so I had worked for about a year on a bid to open a restaurant in San Francisco International Airport. I'd like worked aggressively and I took on a new partner to help finance the whole thing. And based on a clerical error, I'm not going to say who did it. We lost the bid and we were run, We actually bid on three locations and we were runner up for all three locations. And the locations we lost to, they're the operators. I couldn't believe it. Wow. And I said to my wife, I'm so tired of trying to grow this thing. I need to sell it and do something else. Mm. And so to me, I wasn't ready to just jump into a new industry. I wanted to go meet like-minded people in their careers, sort mm-hmm. of at the decision-making level in their career. Because... I have a wonderful staff. We have great culture, almost no turnover in my business, but they probably aren't the types that are going to be interested in going to an executive MBA program. So just mm-hmm. having more sort of peer on my little ivory tower, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, yeah. seemed pretty exciting. Plus, I was pretty rough around the edges. When I think back to my days as a management consultant, I could walk the walk, I could talk the talk, I could wear a suit, but I work in a restaurant now. Yeah, It's basically like working in a locker room the culture of restaurants and a lot of the bad part of the culture has been exposed recently. Thankfully, my restaurant, as far as I know, we have a wonderful <laughs> workplace culture. Mm-hmm. We don't tolerate anything other than that. But, right. you know, it's a blue collar field. Mm-hmm. Also, you don't get exposed to the strategic conversations about technology and finance and your impact and place in the world. And so I was craving that. And after I lost this bid at SFO, I talked to my wife. I said, maybe I should consider going back to do an MBA mm-hmm. and switch careers. Mm-hmm. And if not, I'll either learn something that's going to help my company mm-hmm. or I will network with the right people to help me grow it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. The business is doing well. It's established. If I needed to in a desperate situation, I could sell it or I could maybe hire someone to run it and go do something else. Mm-hmm. So I was in a really good situation where I had that flexibility to make that decision and I wanted that perspective. And so that was kind of the first reason. The second reason was I strongly believe in public institutions. Yeah, I'm a product of entirely public schools. I love the UC system. I liked Haas's values. I'm not just saying that. Mm-hmm. Haas was really logistically the only option because I couldn't commute somewhere because I have these businesses locally. Yep. And I, I live in Oakland, so this was a very easy thing to do. The exec MBA program was the only one that really fit the bill for me as far as timing. And the other thing that I really needed to learn was how to be a leader. Mm-hmm. So this idea of the Haas leader, I know it's kind of abstract, but it, it's important. Yeah. And one of my challenges was growing leaders in my own company, yeah. right? I had a hard time trusting others to take the reins a lot. And yeah. that's a typical thing you find in small businesses. But as I was contemplating growth and really pushing growth, I myself was a less effective professional because you get stressed out. You get pulled in different directions if you don't know how to delegate well or promote others or be empathetic. Mm-hmm. And that spoke to me as far as, okay, I'm picking this place logistically. I like that it's a public school, but 
hey, there's actually something bigger here than just getting the MBA. Yeah. So that's why I'm here. I feel like we're on a similar path because the number one question I'm sure you get is you own a business, it's successful. What the hell are you doing here? Right? Because most people assume that entrepreneurs, we build businesses, we're just supposed to go retire on a beach somewhere. My first response to them is, a true entrepreneur is always looking for problems to solve, like bigger and badder problems to solve, right? And I think it's just this burning drive that you just can't get rid of. So I have an e-commerce business, and I felt the same way where in terms of my surrounding and the people around me, I wanted to connect with this network, and I really value that here at Haas. So this is, this is an amazing story. Student always. You are the pure embodiment of <laughs> student always. The fact that you reach a level where most people would consider very successful and then still, you know, you can do more. Well, you know, you know if you want to get personal, mm-hmm. this is something I learned in trust-based relationships, which is a class we take in okay. the executive leadership program with the Berkeley Leadership Institute, is I need to be more earnest and honest with my feelings around my peers, especially my workers. So I will tell you this. I also came here because I hated the restaurants. Mm-hmm. I got to a point where I was so burnt out And yes, I've done every job in the restaurant from scrubbing out the nastiest messes in Mm -hmm. a commercial grease trap that you couldn't even imagine to, you know, being on the top of a mountain, feeling great, having just catered at the Super Bowl, 15,000 sandwiches, right? I've been all over the place. But after six and a half years in the business at the time, I was pretty burnt out. And when you live in a place like the Bay Area, there's always new ideas and it is a bit of a rat race here. Mm -hmm. Because you always want to be innovating. You always want to be doing something new. And you always want to be part of the upward trend. Hmm. No one wants to be stagnant in the Hmm. Bay Area. So I felt that was kind of, especially after I lost that deal, I was kind of getting that way. I decided to sell my second restaurant because it just wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. And Mm -hmm. it was a huge time constraint. Plus I did well selling it. I made a good return. But I think coming here reminded me that I would have a safety net. Yeah. So this was not a sort of a backup plan, but hey, I'm going to have Haas. Mm-hmm. Maybe this will either revitalize my spirit and what I do, mm-hmm. or I'm going to find the next thing that's going to, like you said, help me solve the next problem mm-hmm. or light the fire. Is when I see opportunity, uh-huh. I like to just dive in, even yeah. if it's sometimes if it's a bad opportunity. I just want to know what it's all about. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most fun side skills I've gained being in the restaurant business is restaurants turn over a lot. Right? Mm-hmm. You see them move into a new space and then they close six months later. So what I've been doing since I came to Haas is every time I know a restaurant's up for sale or something, I'll fill out a non-disclosure and, I'll, and I get to review their financials. Mm-hmm. And so after our financial accounting course, and I had a pretty good idea of basic bookkeeping and financial accounting, but now I'm doing a lot more measures mm-hmm. on these, uh, these restaurants. So even just developing that skill of looking at random P&L sheets of business, I mean, this is something that's done obviously at the business purchase level. It's done right. at the M&A level. It's done at the private equity and, and banking level, corporate finance level. So Haas sort of helped me maintain this sort of student-like, I want to learn, I want to learn, yeah. sponge head yeah. mentality that I can now take what I'm doing and, and use it even more in a fun way. You know, So it's kind of revitalized my interest. And I would say it's the support of my classmates that kind of influenced me to continue or look at growing my business in a different direction. Hmm. A couple last questions. Uh, what fields are you interested out of Haas? You know, I really like businesses where 
their impact is felt at the local community level. Now, these could be massive organizations. For example, Anchor Steam. Mm-hmm. I mean, now they've, they've sold themselves after 100 years to a bigger uh, beer company, but they were a brewery that was local in San Francisco, employed San Francisco. You can go walk in there. I like manufacturing. I like food processing. Mm-hmm. That's done in an environment that's supported by the community. So that stuff's always really interesting to me. Okay. I like blue-collar industries. I think I've developed a knack for them. So I like operations and logistics around anything that needs to, that's part of an extended supply chain. Hmm. So I like physical goods. Okay. Um, so if, if I'm looking to network with people here, as it applies specifically to what I'm doing with my restaurant company, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to plan a whole new supply chain for my new franchisees, mm-hmm. which to be quite honest, scares the crap out of me, right? I've been working with my trusted local partners here in the Bay Area for eight years, and now I've got to design a national supply chain. Mm -hmm. So that's something I could probably use a little coaching with. (laughs) Um, I'm also very interested in talking to people that work in community banks Mm -hmm. because community banks are primary SBA lenders. And so we're going to need to start talking about how we finance the growth of our franchisees, especially if they're successful and want to open more stores. Mm -hmm. So my new job, right, is cultivating this network of quality grilled cheese restaurants. <laughs> so it's a, new, it's a new direction for me and any, anyone who has any support in supporting a multi-regional brick and mortar organization, retail or food service organization, I would love to pick their brain. Absolutely. Okay. We will put um, your email up on this podcast link and uh, have people reach out to you if they have any resources or uh, direction that they can provide you. So... Thank you so much for being here on this podcast today, Nate. Go Bears. Go Bears. Thank you for tuning in today. My aim is to bring the Haas community closer together through your stories. We're always looking for Haasies willing to share their stories and experiences so that we can give you more insights into the different programs, different careers, and ultimately different perspectives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to email me for suggestions on how I can improve this podcast or if you have any recommendations on people or content you'd like to hear. My email is reachshawn at berkeley.edu. That's spelled R-E-A-C-H-S-E-A-N at berkeley.edu. 